Our reading is from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He he gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about two thousand in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has, has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Well, James, thank you very much for uh, reading for us. And uh, let me say again, it's lovely to be back with you this week uh, with friends from Christians in Parliament. And uh, to be in these surroundings, I feel really quite privileged to... uh, to be in such an incredible uh, uh, environment. But um, the biggest privilege, really, is the chance to look at this passage uh, with you this lunchtime. And I'm going to pray now and ask uh, for God's help as we come to his word. Shall we pray? Our gracious Father, here we are in the seat of power. And we live in a world where people use power for different things, to different ends, with different agendas. And into your world, you speak through your word. And we pray now that as we look at your word, you would help us to see what you are saying about the Lord Jesus Christ, the power that he has, and the way that he uses it. Speak to us now, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Will you uh, join us in the second of a a series of uh, three uh, passages in Mark's Gospel where we're thinking about the idea of power and in particular relating to it the question of 
fear or faith? What do we make of Jesus Christ? When we think about issues of power, do we respond with fear or faith? And today we're thinking uh, about power that liberates. Uh, With that, we're thinking about power in the face of evil. Uh, Now, I take it when it comes to evil, most of us would say we know it when we see it. Uh, We saw evil on the streets above us back in March. We've seen evil in Manchester in recent months on London Bridge. We've seen evil further afield in Syria. Chemical weapons used on children. Horrific scenes. That is what evil does. We know it when we see it. Uh, Speaking last year of the plight of Syrians in Aleppo, the Archbishop of Canterbury uh, said, what is being done there is evil. It is demonic. It is the absolute contempt for the human spirit, for the dignity of the human being. Nobody disagreed with him. And when we think of it like that, we, we might well wonder what kind of power, if any, we have in response. Uh, there are, of course, different sort of responses, aren't there, to, to evil when we, we, we see it. People often talk about hard power versus soft power. Uh, And of course, you'll understand this better than me, politicians tread the fine line of trying to discern which kind of power to deploy and when. So against the evil of chemical weapons, do you respond with the hard power of a missile strike or the soft power of diplomacy and getting people around the table? Certainly in the Middle East, military force has been tried. So too, politicians, NGOs, the United Nations have tried. It's interesting, the Archbishop uh, Justin Welby observed of the UN effort in Aleppo, the UN has no army, you might say no hard power, the UN has done what it could do, with soft power perhaps. The UN is a fallible and weak institution, of course it is, it's human. And therein lies the issue, Justin Welby puts his finger on it for us, he sees the reality of human evil And yet alongside it, the limitations of human weakness. And wherever we might be on hard power or soft power or or, or whatever, this is not a a, a delve into foreign policy. I was advised not to go there. We see that issue, don't we? How do we respond to evil? And then we come to a passage like this, which James has just read for us in the New Testament. And a man possessed by an evil spirit. Well, what do we do with that? Now, of course, we can rationalise evil in the modern world. We've just been thinking about it. So politics, nation-states, ideologies, that sort of thing, those kind of categories. But this is a little bit awkward, to be honest. Demons that can speak. Are we really to believe this in the 21st century? Well, certainly it is disturbing this. There's no getting away. This is disturbing, I think, what we read here. But before we dismiss it, it's worth remembering in some parts of the world... Uh, This is entirely normal. Voodoo, witchcraft, evil spirits, that sort of thing, the occult, all part of the everyday. It's just that in the sophisticated West, we like to think we've moved on from such a sort of primitive existence. And yet, have we moved on? Uh, Statistically, regardless of religion, uh, at least one uh, credible survey I I looked at a few months ago uh, would say that most of us in the UK believe in God or a divine being or some kind of greater spiritual power. So you don't have to define it too tightly, but most of us would believe in there being something. 
And just as you cannot have light without having darkness, so presumably you cannot also have good without having evil. Now, of course, at this point, I guess, and this may be you today, I don't know, the atheist would write it off as an illusion. Uh, Richard Dawkins, most famously, would say that the universe as we look at it reveals no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. We're just matter, we're just DNA. And he says, DNA neither knows nor cares, DNA just is. Try telling that to a trader in Borough Market. And of course, the Bible says throughout, no, there is such a thing as evil. It is real and it is wrong. And throughout Mark's Gospel, Jesus sees it, he engages with it, and he wins. Because Jesus has power over evil. That's what we're going to see here. And our question for us in our response is fear or faith. How will we respond? Fear or faith? Let's then have a look at three types of power that we see. First, destructive power. The destructive power of evil. They go back across the lake. Jesus gets out of the boat and a man with an evil spirit comes to meet him. And you can follow with me from verse 3. Here's what Mark tells us. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. It's pretty disturbing, this, isn't it? It is a bleak picture. Here is a man who lives among the dead, which is weird. He's been driven out of town, had to be chained, which is sad. And he wanders around self-harming, which is scary. He's probably been diagnosed as insane. But whilst that may be a convenient diagnosis, it is wrong. Because twice here we're told this man has an evil spirit. Three times we're told in the passage he's possessed by demons. So we can rationalise his condition if we, if we wish as maybe epilepsy or a, a seizure of some kind. And that of course would make something a little bit awkward, a bit more palatable. Certainly the Enlightenment thinkers of the 18th century didn't really like the idea of a sort of dark world where this sort of thing happened. They liked the idea that we'd moved on and grown up out of all that, a more rational way of thinking. And neat medical categories help with that, don't they? We can just put him in that pigeonhole. But it's worth saying, nowhere does the Bible, please hear me very clearly on this, nowhere does the Bible link epilepsy with demon possession. They're different things. So... Make no mistake, this is a man in the grip of the devil, possessed by demons and living in misery. And it may help you to know that in Mark, in his Gospel, the physical, or if you like the medical, is so often a picture of the spiritual. We're being given a visual aid here, if you like. And so this man is a picture for us of what evil does. Because demon possession in the Bible is really just a very extreme manifestation of what evil does in all of us. It corrupts, it distorts, it destroys. So we're responsible for our actions. Jesus is very clear about that. We cannot claim to be innocent victims of an invading force, as it were. We must take responsibility. But this is a very graphic picture of a problem which Jesus says all of us have. Let's be honest. This individual here is the kind of man that no parent would want their children to be near. If you got on the tube this evening, you would move carriages at the next stop. 
And that is because of the dehumanising effect of sin. What do I mean by that? Well, it's what sin does to us. Uh, In the film Saving Private Ryan, Steven Spielberg, you might remember uh, Tom Hanks as Captain Miller, leading a unit of men to rescue Matt Damon as Private Ryan. And uh, in one little exchange, uh, Tom Hanks, Captain Miller, growing old, sort of ravaged by the horrors of war, no glamour in it anymore, is talking to one of his men, a young soldier wants to fight for the cause, and weary, reflecting on all the questions that, that, that war has raised for him. Captain Miller says, I just know that every man I kill, the further away from home I feel. Every man I kill, the further from home I feel. It, it, it's a comment on the dehumanising effect of war. You see, the more evil distorts God's creation, the more human beings are stirred up to damage and destroy one another. The more selfish we become, the further from God we end up. That is the dehumanising effect of sin. It's what evil does. And just like the man we meet here, it puts us at war with God, with other people, and even with ourselves. Now, at this point, you may be thinking, I understand this. Okay, look, I hear that. But, you know, we look at the the, the demoniac here in this story and we think, look, hold on a sec. That's not me, okay? (laughs) This is a little bit extreme. Please don't put me in that pigeonhole. But the truth is, every little bit of lust, every little bit of greed, every moment of, of envy and rivalry, every crossword with a colleague, every little bit of road rage is just a little glimpse of what evil would like to do in each one of us because evil inflames within us the selfishness, the sin that is lurking there in our hearts. And so it's the problem we all have. Look, let me be clear. For most of us, it is much less graphic than what we find here in this passage. But Mark is showing us it is there and Jesus can see it. That's the destructive power of evil. Which is why, second, we need the liberating power of Jesus. And so here's the encounter. Follow with me from verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again, not to send them out of the area. Now, a legion was the largest unit in the Roman army, about 6,000 men. So the point here is that this man is riddled with demons. So what can Jesus do for him? Well, much as the power of evil is frightening, the power of Jesus is even greater. You see, the evil spirits here beg Jesus not to send them away, that they even bargain with him. Look, if you drive us away, can we at least go into the pigs? Now, why do they want that? Well, we're not told here, but it may be that they want one last chance to destroy something. Now, why would Jesus allow it? In verse 12, they beg him. Can you see that? In verse 13, Jesus gives them permission. He's in charge here. Well, he allows it, Jesus, as a demonstration to everyone watching of what evil wants to do to you and I. We know that about evil, don't we? Its aim is to destroy. I mean, the attack back here in in March, 
the, the trauma on London Bridge, that the, the rhetoric in the war on terror, what is our response as we go about our business the following day? We say, don't we, we will not allow this to destroy our values. We will not allow this to destroy our democracy. That is the language we use. Because we know that is what evil is all about. It wants to destroy. Well, the devil here knows Jesus is real. He knows Jesus is more powerful. But if he's going down, he wants to take us with him. And just as Jesus comes to save this man from destruction by evil, so he comes to save us from the same. It's the words of the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? He comes to deliver us from evil. But to do that, he has to go to the cross. You see, for the demoniac here, the reality of what Jesus has done for him will only be fully realised at the cross. If you like, in artistic terms, Jesus' sort of initial sketch in Mark chapter 5 will only become the finished masterpiece at the cross at the end of Mark's Gospel. Because there at the cross is the ultimate battle between good and evil. Never mind the war on terror today. The defining battle for all humanity is the one that took place at the cross 2,000 years ago. Because there at the cross, Jesus took upon himself all the evil, all the sin, all the damage it does, all the judgment it deserves, and he died in our place. So just as Jesus saves the demoniac from destruction, so he saves us from destruction by dying in our place. You could say the, the cross is the ultimate demonstration of soft power. I mean, he's the son of God. He could destroy his opponents in the blink of an eye, but instead of a clenched fist, he offered Jesus an open hand. In fact, open arms stretched right out. Because at the cross, instead of fighting... He yielded. Jesus gave himself up, went to his death to win the battle with evil. And that is why he's the saviour we all need. Because in order for evil to be defeated that day on the cross, one man had to die. In London, in our response to what happened here back in March, we can all say, many Londoners have, you know, life goes on. That is how we respond to terror. We get up the next morning and we go about our business. Life goes on. And there is something in that. But we also know, I take it, you know, better than most, that for some, life will never be the same again. Life does not simply go on. Because for evil to be defeated that day, one man had to die. P.C. Keith Palmer sacrificed himself and surrendered to evil in order to defeat it. And just as we are deeply moved by his sacrifice, people who didn't even know him, I dare say some of you did, so too we should be deeply moved by Jesus' sacrifice at the cross. And if we're not yet deeply moved by what Christ has done for us, it may be that we haven't yet understood it for ourselves. Which is why Mark's Gospel is so wonderful to read, because that's where we discover it. You see, no one else can save us from the destruction we face. Only Jesus has the power to deliver us from evil, and he does that 
at the cross. So there we are. Destructive power, uh, liberating power, and then as we finish very briefly, another kind of power, blinding power. And this is the blinding power of fear. Just follow with me from verse 14. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. So word spreads, hardly surprising, and with it fear. Just look at the reaction here. This is interesting to follow this. Remember the demoniac, the tombs, the chains, the crying out, cutting himself. But now here in verse 15, can you see the difference? He's sitting down, peace restored. He's dressed, dignity restored. He's in his right mind, able to function, relationships restored. This is a man who can get a job now. Given what he was... This is altogether more wholesome. He's got his life back. So let me ask you this. What is frightening about this picture in verse 15? I mean, who would you prefer to meet on the tube home this evening? I take it it's the man at the end of the story, not the man at the beginning. So why are the people afraid in verse 15? Well, of course, it's all about our response, isn't it, to Jesus? Fear or faith? In verses 16... And 17, the people are afraid of the cost. Uh, Gary was asking me earlier on, you know, what do we make of the farmer here? Who compensates the farmer? I take it that's an MP who knows how to care about his constituents, rural constituency or whatever it may be. I like that. I think that's great. But a herd of pigs here, 2,000 in number, that is a sizable business. That is someone's livelihood. And so the people see the pigs rushing down the bank and all they can think of is the piggy bank. I know that's a little bit forced, but that is exactly the issue. All they see is pound signs. And of course, frankly, one man being saved, and let's be honest, this is not a high net worth individual, really what is his contribution to to society, is one man being saved worth the cost of a herd of pigs. So fear now spreads. Who will compensate the farmer? Jesus could be bad for business. And more than just the money. The people are afraid of what Jesus does in people's lives. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the, the impact of somebody you know, maybe a colleague or a you know, member of your family, or somebody becoming a Christian. It is a little bit unsettling sometimes to see the change that takes place as they start following Jesus. There's some of that here. But I'd want to suggest, surely... What we see here, the change we see here, is a good thing. And yet so often it's fear that holds us back. And for some of us it is the cost of following Jesus. It may be the financial loss or the reputational loss. Uh, Maybe in a place like Westminster it's the loss of influence, the loss of credibility. Or for some of us, it's the fear of the unknown. We're afraid of Jesus because we haven't really yet understood who he is. It's very natural, isn't it, to be afraid of things you don't know. But the pigs drowning in the lake are a reminder of what evil would do. And Jesus is the only one who can save us from that end. Fear or faith? Justin Welby. The UN is a weak and fallible institution. Of course it is. It is human. 
A human response to evil will only take us so far. Ultimately, for evil to be defeated, we need God to intervene. And the message of Mark's Gospel is that in Jesus Christ, he has. And Jesus Christ says, I am the only one with power over evil. Put your faith in me. I'm going to lead us in prayer as we close. Should we bow our heads? Our loving Father, for some of us these things are new, uh, somewhat unnerving quite possibly. For some of us they are familiar, for all of us they are relevant, because your word speaks to us and we glimpse here the destructive power of evil and we know we need saving from what evil would do to us and in us. And so we thank you also for this picture of liberating power, the liberating power of the Lord Jesus, who has power over evil and who comes to save us from destruction. And we pray, Father, that you might draw near to us in our fears, that where we fear the cost of following Jesus, or we fear the unknown because we don't yet trust him, we ask you to help us to look to him not in fear but in faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.